I have to admit, I lied to you last week because I said this was my eighth talk, but yet last week was actually my seventh talk. This is my eighth talk in this string of uh, talks on telling the stories from God's word, word of mouth, and uh, returning to that. And uh, for the first couple talks, you remember, we looked at some problems. We looked at how this returning to this idea solves those problems. Uh, We talked about why we would do this. Uh, We talked about what a story is, uh, what questions stories try to answer, and what a story does in our brains psychologically when we hear an engaging story. And then last week, I sat here with this tire on my lap, because these are the talks where the rubber begins to meet the road. This is where we begin to talk about who can tell a story? Who can you tell a story to? And how do you do it? How do you do it? Uh, I, I would look at it like this. When you have a vehicle, if it doesn't have tires, it doesn't go anywhere. If you have a vehicle and it has tires, but you jack it up because you don't want the tires to touch the road because they might get dirty, the vehicle doesn't go anywhere. But when the vehicle has tires and you put it on the road, the vehicle and the tires will get a little dirty, but you'll go somewhere. And I, and I sincerely believe that telling the stories of God's word is a very effective way of getting our vehicle on the road and actually going somewhere in terms of our mission to tell Yeshua's story to the world, to the people in our lives in our mission to disciple our own children and disciple the believers, the new believers in our community. It's something I have a growing passion for. And yeah, you know what? It is going to be a little dirty when you come in contact with some people. But that's a good thing. It's part of the journey, right? If, If you find you're never coming in contact with, quote, dirty people in your social life or in your conversations, Maybe you're just sitting there, jacked up, spinning your tires, is my suggestion. So this is going to be one more talk about uh, about uh, who we can tell God's stories to. You remember last week I said, who can tell a story? Some people would say, oh, you know, I could never tell a story. I just, I'm, 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 I'm a klutz when it comes to words. Uh, I have a hard time organizing thoughts in my mind. Uh, I'm shy. And you know, some people are more like that than other people. But do you remember what we talked about last week? Often the people who would say, oh, I can never tell a story, are the same people who, if they're a fisherman, will get very excited to tell you about the big one that got away. Or if it's a baba, she'll be very excited to tell you about her grandchildren. So I'll have tons of stories to tell you about her grandchildren. So yeah, I really believe that every one of us can tell stories in our own way. Why? Because every human being, unless they are aliens or descended from aliens, are created in God's image. And God is a storyteller. Yahweh made you like Him. And He's a storyteller. And so you have that in you too. That's why kids love stories. It's something about the Creator in them, eh? And so my my answer is, everyone can tell a story because it's all of our mission to tell people about Yeshua. And when you tell people about Yeshua, you are telling them the most wonderful story that has ever been told And also, it's kind of nice that it's a true story. Yeah. 
So that's what we looked at last week. Now, we brainstormed last week about who we could tell his stories to. Uh, very often we're like, oh, I don't know who I could tell the story to. And the answer is, you know what, the, just the people closest to you. Start with the people in your own house or your extended family. Uh, the kids, the grandkids, uh, the spouse, uh, siblings, uh, people like that. These are people you see on a daily basis. These are people you eat with. Just turn off the TV and tell one of his stories instead, right? Yeah, maybe it'll take a little bit of intent on your part. Maybe they'll be like, you want to tell me a story. You've never, ever, ever wanted to tell me a story. This is kind of weird. Maybe they'll think it's weird, but that's okay. I mean, really, uh, we're all weird in, in our family circles anyway, right? It's a good place to, uh, to, to be weird is with their families. We also talked about uh, neighbors, uh, friends, or buddies, uh, co-workers. These are people that you can tell his stories to. Uh, then we specifically profiled children, both your children and maybe uh, maybe your nephews and nieces or grandkids or neighborhood kids. Uh, we profiled um, uneducated people, be they illiterate or non-literate, and also religiously uneducated people, which is like un- the quote unchurched, right? Stories are the kinds of things that anyone can relate to, whether they have a PhD or whether they never graduated from grade three. Uh, We also profiled non-religious people, which would include atheists and agnostics. Uh, Often people like this are more open to hearing a story than to just hearing you uh, list a whole bunch of points and quote a bunch of verses torn out of context. So that was where we left off last week. We're going to continue that talk this week, profiling three groups of people that we can tell his stories to. And I really believe that these concepts are cutting edge. I really believe that uh, for a lot of people, they're hearing these talks and they're like, I've never heard this before. Storytelling sounds kind of silly to me. Or storytelling isn't relevant to what we're about. You know, we're flying the flag of returning to the Torah. We're flying the flag of Jewish roots. We're flying the flag of the prophetic restoration message. What's this storytelling thing? And as I explained in past weeks, this has everything to do with Torah, with Jewish roots, with the prophetic restoration that we are a part of. So let's continue with that, uh, with that discussion here. Um, one huge group of people, and this is a growing group of people in the West, that you can tell his stories to is people from other religions, people from other religious cultures. Have you noticed here in PA in the last 10, 20, 30 years that there's a growing number of people from other religions that are not Christian, that are Hindu or Muslim or some other religious culture? There is a growing number of people like that in the West. And sometimes people look at this growing number of people immigrating to the West from other countries and they kind of freak out and they're like, oh no! The Muslims are going to take us over. They're out to get us. Or, you know, they'll look at... They'll, and, and, and many people have this alarmist, woe is us mentality. Oh, Islam is... There's this influx of Islam in the West and we're all going down and we might as well just sit here and wring our hands and talk about the evils of Islam. I suggest that's, that's, a, that's a wrong mindset. My suggestion would be a right mindset would be to believe in the sovereignty of the creator of the universe. And to say, yes, there's a growing number of Muslims in our city, and God is bringing them here for a reason. 
God is sending them here. Why? Because he's in control of the whole universe. Unless maybe you have some really weird, puny, tiny version of God. And he sits there and wrings his hands and worries up there, like some of his people do down here. Ah, maybe. Ah. So, here's my, here's my suggestion. When you see people from other religious cultures move in on the block, rejoice! Because Yeshua is bringing them to your neighborhood for a reason. And he's not bringing them there to kill you. He's bringing them there because he loves those people. And he wants to, he wants to talk to them. And you just happen to be part of his body. You're part of his, which means maybe you're the mouth. Maybe you get to talk to those people. Maybe you're a hand. Maybe you get to reach out and touch them in a meaningful way. Like, uh, having them over for tea or something, eh? Maybe even, Telling them some of his stories. But you never thought I was going to say that, eh? But, but, but for real. Here's the cool thing. Okay, uh, uh, very often a person's religion is at the core of who they are. So if they detect that you are from another religion and you're trying to communicate some idea to them that is from another religion, they will automatically just be close to it. Why? Because they already have their religion and you have your religion and it's not them and they're not it. But, stories are like stealth fighters. How many of you have seen the difference between a regular fighter plane or a bomber plane and a stealth plane? What's the difference? Stealth planes fly under the radar. They enter a country undetected. And guess what? That is very often what stories do also. They slip under the radar of opposing beliefs. They, they uh, stealthily slip behind the religious walls that people build up. And they reach people's minds in a fresh way. They engage their hearts where otherwise they, uh, they wouldn't. And here's the cool thing. You could be like, oh, but you know what? Stories, that's silly. If you really want to reach someone, you need to lay out the Bible verses for them, the four spiritual laws, or give them a tract, or be really in their face about your religion. And I would say, no, you don't. Because when you tell a story from God's Word, that is God's Word. And what saves people? God's Word. What changes the world one person at a time? God's Word. So when you tell a story, it's not just a story. It is God's word, and it is powerful. And I have a story to read to you about that. From this book, Truth That Sticks, by uh, Avery Willis. This story really excited me, actually. Just to read you a a little section here, called Telling Stories to Non-Believers. You may wonder what to do about modern relativism and cultures that teach that there's no absolute truth. The answer is simple. Just tell the stories. Stories are not just illustrations to prove our points. They are vehicles of God's truth. Even though some people won't believe, the word has power to both convince and convict. We use Bible storying with amazing effectiveness with people of other religions. The stories usually slip under the radar of any real or imagined defenses because we're not directly confronting their beliefs or arguing with them. If they're willing to hear enough stories, there's often a cumulative effect until they can't deny the truth of God's word. 
Here's the, here's, here's the true story for you. Several Muslim men kept coming into a restaurant, restaurant operated by a Christian man and his wife. The men would often swap stories, so the restaurant owner decided to tell some stories of God's power from the Bible. After a few meals and story swapping times together, one of the men said, These stories of yours are really good, but it seems that they're from a bigger story. The owner said, That's right. Would you like to hear the big story? When the men agreed, the owner started at Genesis and began, week after week, telling the stories chronologically through the Bible. After about six weeks, the men asked, Does your wife know these stories too? When he said that she did, the men arranged for their wives to come and hear the big story from her. Soon, four of the men and their wives accepted Christ and began evangelizing among their own networks of friends using the big story. Isn't that exciting? Now, did you get that? He began telling them stories from God's word, but he didn't say, this is part of my Christian religion, or this is something from the Bible. He just told the story. He just used the sword. He didn't explain the sword. He didn't defend the sword. He just used the sword, and it went right under the radar of these guys. Maybe otherwise they would have been close to it, eh? And they began to figure out soon enough that these stories were part of a bigger story. And they wanted their wives to hear them. Isn't that powerful? So, quite frankly, that really encourages me. I've noticed that. There are a lot of people that have this stigma about the Bible. And like maybe they'd be close to the Bible, but they don't really know what's in the Bible. They don't really know the content of all of these books. They don't really know the stories. So you could tell people a story from the Bible and they would be open to it unless they knew it was from the Bible. Because, quite frankly, a lot of people in our culture are a little bit biased and they don't even know it. And probably, I, I probably am too because I'm a human being. Yeah, if it has Yeshua in it, then they might they might know. But a lot of people, you know, they haven't heard those stories before. So you start telling one and they might actually get into it. Okay. Another group of people that I believe this um, concept of telling the stories from God's word, word of mouth, too, is, um, I believe this will be very cutting edge, are postmoderns. Uh, postmoderns are basically like everybody my age and under. And some people over my age also. Uh, I, I don't. I, I think. I don't think people realize. Like, let's say people in their fifties and sixties. I don't think they realize just how much people my age and younger look at the world differently, uh, think differently, and have a different set of values. Um, but it's like it's that whole concept of like postmodernism and the postmodern worldview, right? And it's like every lots of people trying to define it or explain it. And it is just a big thing that that is what it is. And I'm not even going to bother trying to explain it or define it because um, I'm pretty sure that we're all we're all familiar with postmodern uh, values and and worldview. But I will tell you one thing: postmodern people are much more opening open to hearing something personal than something impersonal. Postmodern people are much more interested in hearing you tell a personal story than just hearing you list some impersonal facts. And I, that's very true of me, quite frankly. Like, if I'm in a conversation with someone, I want to get to know that person as a person. I want to know what they think personally. I want to know what, what, um, what, what, really, what they're passionate about or what gets them excited or, or what they fear. And you know, if someone is, someone is um, part of a religion different than mine, I, 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 I'm fine, I, I'm interested in, in hearing about that person's religion as, and what it means to them as a person. 
what it does for them as a person. Can, can you hear the difference there, eh? And, and, and this is very true of um, postmodern people. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little story. This is a true story about a man named Caesar Kalinowski and something that, something that he did uh, along those lines. Telling stories in a coffee shop atmosphere. Caesar Kalinowski moved to the Pacific Northwest to start Soma Church using, using a storying model. Quote, In the Pacific Northwest, where it's much like Europe, sometimes you have post-Christian people. The cafe's culture is cynical, fairly young, and fairly educated, he said. Caesar began by going to a cafe owner and suggesting they do a story night. Anyone could tell any story he or she wanted, and some stories were pretty raunchy. However, Caesar, as the host, would listen for a theme from the stories and end by telling a Bible story that spoke to the issue others had raised. The patrons would listen intently, and then afterward, individuals would come up and talk to him, and he would invite them to one of his storying groups. The church now has 40 groups telling Bible stories to address the problems of life people are facing. Caesar said, Seattle is the most literate city in the nation. We have church plants all around. But the level of orality in our area is enormous. We need to speak in the cultural language of those around us. We have to address it as missionaries. We have to address it. So he used that word orality there. Who can tell me what the word orality means? That's right. It's people who communicate and learn um, by talking, word of mouth, right? And, and that's, that's very true. The level of orality in the Western world is enormous. It, it is growing. So I thought that was a fantastic idea uh, on, on, on so many levels, you know. Just that he engaged with his city, that he was actually creating culture in his city. That he was like, he was, like, um, he was initiating a good thing. You know, he was saying, let's, let's get together at this coffee house. Let's tell stories. Let's get to know each other better. That's good for society in general. And then, of course, as the host, he would, you know, tell a story that was relevant to issues, themes that people had raised. I, I really appreciate that. And he made some friends to that, too. And I like that, too, how he had storying groups going that he could invite people to. That's the whole point of what we're doing in our community, right? With this whole, quote, house church, or maybe you could call it house synagogue because that's also what it is, concept. Um, we want to have groups that we can invite people to where they're not going to get this huge, complicated uh, um, message or a lot of religious jargon. It's just going to be something simple, something where they, they encounter us personally, and something where they hear a story and they can talk about it in an open format. Eh? So that's, that's, that's something I'm very passionate about right now, and that's somewhere that we're going as a community, and quite frankly, I'm really excited about it because we've already been doing this for like half a year, and I love the results that I've been seeing. I, I love having a group that I can invite people to, whether it be neighbors or friends or, or whoever. And I love how it's different every week also. Uh, random right, right brain person that I am. <laughs> so I have one more uh, group of people that we can tell his stories to. And that group of people is groups. One of the groups of people that you can tell stories to is groups. Did that sound like circular logic or uh, closed circuit? <laughs> kind of is, I suppose. But um, 
you guys remember like a couple months ago, I, I, Genevieve and I went on a canoe trip for our anniversary, our five-year anniversary, and I did a talk after that on what I learned from starting a fire. I, I, I have any of you guys, okay, I, okay, you know the word sacred, right? I know what the word sacred means, and I'm going to use it slightly differently, but have any of you like noticed there's almost something sacred about the art of starting a fire in the wilderness? Like, I, I don't know, for me, it's almost like there's something sacred to it. It's like this, it's like this ancient art. It's like this thing that so many generations have participated in, you know, and just gathering the tinder and, and getting those little piles of sticks and putting them together and then, and then introducing the flame and then watching a fire grow and feeding that fire, eh? And, uh, you, you, you remember I did a, I did a talk on that and just how I, I, I see that that's what Yeshua did when he gathered those disciples around himself and he introduced the fire of the message of the kingdom into their midst. Uh, what, what, what the apostles did when Yeshua sent them out into the world, they would gather a circle of people around Yeshua, following Yeshua, and then they would introduce the fire of the Holy Spirit into their midst. And that fire would take off and it would become a flame and it would change cities. It would spread like a wildfire, eh? Well, I really believe that that's a picture of this concept of taking the Word of God in story format and telling it to people. In, in, this, in this specific instance, in groups. You remember, uh, you remember Yahweh said in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29, that His Word is a fire. So there's something about fire, the, the, the art of firecraft. There's something about the dynamics of getting a fire going and propagating that fire. It tells us something about his word and how we want to teach his word and how we want to reach the world with his word, eh? So I, I think there's a very strong um, biblical link there. So what would that look like with telling stories? He did say he came, he come to cast fire on the earth. Yeah, that's true. You do, Yeshua did say, I came to cast fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. Mm-hmm. Wow. But it, then he said, but I have an immersion to undergo wow. and how distressed I am until... It happens. And what did he go around doing was sharing stories everywhere. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeshua did go around proclaiming the word in story form. That's exciting. So what would that look like if we were to take that idea of gathering the tinder, gathering the kindling, putting it together and then introducing the fire into the midst? To me, what that would look like in our, in our situation would be getting some people together, like a group, and then telling his stories, which is like a fire, and watching and seeing what happens. Um, here, here are some practical ideas, like here's some ideas where, you know, people could do that. Um, we all, we all know people, like we have family, we have coworkers, we have friends, we have neighbors. We have, we know people that would be responsive to getting together in a little group. With us and maybe, uh, maybe just, maybe just with you or with another couple people or whatever. But getting together with you and, uh, maybe hearing you tell a story and having a bit of a discussion over it. And you know, you could do that. I, I would suggest doing that in a neutral setting, like your own home. Uh, like a religiously neutral setting, you know. Like, like your own home or a coffee shop or pub or, uh, outdoors for those of us who love the outdoors. But don't try this. Don't try that one in the winter. Um, but, you know, those are, you know, it's, it's one of those things of like, you just want to ask yourself, who would be interested in maybe being part of a little group? And where, where do we want to get together? It's that simple. And then you just do it.
Just do it once a week. Tell a story once a week. Um, maybe you start, model the idea, introduce that fire, and then let it spread. And if it spreads, then other people will want to uh, tell the stories and you can show them how to do it and get them doing it too, eh? Take turns. But um, that's basically the idea behind us having multiple groups in our community like this, gathering in places other than a big a big church or other than religious uh, religious venues, right? I, I believe it's a, a way that we're going to see the fire of his word spread in the city. And hopefully it'll, it will be like a wildfire. Um, so that's the last group that I, I, uh, I wanted to brainstorm with you guys about is just the group of groups. So one of those ways could be of telling the story in the paper and maybe commenting on it or say how it's affected your life. Or... Yeah, that's a cool idea, telling a story in the paper. And then, you know, who knows who might contact you through that that might be interested in getting together in, in, in a story group on a weekly basis or something, eh? Mm-hmm. Who, who knows? I uh, have one more thing here to show you to wrap up that idea of telling his stories in groups. I'll just read this to you and then I'll show you this diagram. It says, uh, The National Training Laboratories in Bethel, Maine, reports research from... Results from research projects on a variety of learning methods where knowledge was best retained. Okay, so you got that? National Training Laboratories based in Bethel, Maine. They have this report from research projects on different learning methods and which of them work best so that people actually remember the stuff they learn. Virtually all the methods apply to the way that we use Bible storing in small groups to help people grow as oral preference learners. So here's the little uh, here's the little learning pyramid that uh, the National Training Laboratories use, uses, and let's just look through these together. And then it has, so here it has these different ways of learning, and the average retention rate. Right at the at the top of the pyramid, which so should actually technically be the bottom of the pyramid in terms of effectiveness, is lecture, where someone speaks and the other people sit there and listen. Uh, scarily close to what we're doing right now, actually. Um, average retention rate is 5%. So most people, if they just sit there and hear a lecture, like what pretty much all of us do every Sunday morning in every church around the world, and what we do in the Messianic Jewish world too, you're probably going to have your people remember about 5% of that. I Kind of crazy, but true. Um, if you're learning by reading, that doubles you retain average about 10%. Learning through audio and visual means increases the average retention rate to 20%. Uh, did you guys notice how I've been using a lot of objects in, my, in these talks? It's, that's why. Because if I just sit here and talk to you, 
you'll remember about 5%. If I sit here with a tire on my lap or I wave my sword around, different things like that, just because it's visual, your, your retention rate will spike by four times. Because we are... Here, here's a fact. You have 22 more times... 22 times more nerves running from your eyes to your brain than from your ears to your brain. So like what you see is just way bigger to your brain than what you hear. Um, demonstration. If you demonstrate something in a teaching setting, average retention rate is 30%. That is what we are doing in our groups when we get together. I, I'm not just talking about telling God stories. That's what we're actually doing in our groups. That's called demonstration, right? Um, discussion group, average retention rate is 50%. Now, hopefully that's kind of what we have here, right? Like, yes, I'm lecturing. Yes, I am using objects to make it uh, visual. Yes, we are demonstrating this in, in practical hands-on settings. But hopefully, like, you know, the way, the way I'm teaching right now, it can be something of a discussion group, right? Where you feel free to ask questions, where you give your feedback, where you share your thoughts, where you even give me pushbacks on things that you may not be so sure about, right? But anyway, so if you have a discussion group format, the average retention rate spikes to 50%. Guys, do you know how intense that is? Lecture, 5%. Discussion group, 50%. Like, really? I don't understand why all, like just, just with this kind of research, and this is legit stuff, I don't know why we still have pastors doing sermons. Like, okay, I do, because that has to be part of it, right? But I just think, why is this the only way that we're trying to teach people? Why don't we, um, why don't we start forming groups? Why don't we get discussion groups going? <laughs> it's just people are going to learn so much more and remember it, eh? Um, maybe, yeah. I think part of it's just tradition, too. When we've done something a certain way for so many years and so many centuries, it's very difficult to say, this just doesn't work. The emperor isn't wearing any clothes. Um, the next thing in the, in the triangle is learning by doing. If someone learns something by doing it themselves, average retention rate is 75%. That African, okay, the African proverb where it says, I hear, I forget. I see, I remember. I do, I understand. That's an African proverb about learning, and I think that's very powerful. It's actually kind of cool. Like, obviously, some people over in the continent of Africa figured this out a long time ago, even without the use of the learning pyramid um, from the National Training Laboratories, eh? And then finally, do you know what the highest thing on the learning pyramid is? If you want a 90% average retention rate, teaching one-to-one. Teaching one-to-one. When you just have that one-on-one thing with someone, it's like, I I can see why that would work, you know, because you have that uh, discussion group uh, format, etc. It's 90%. And I mean, we're almost there today, hey? Teaching (laughs) one-to-one. Yeah. So, anyway, um, can you see just from those... um, can you, can you see just based on those ways of learning how storying in, in groups in the way that we're talking about here is a very powerful way of teaching people God's word and discipling them uh, for Yeshua. Here, I'll just I'll read you their, uh, their um, summary of this. The least effective method used to communicate information measured by retention is hearing a lecture, 5%. Reading doubles retention to 10%. Audiovisual methods double learning again to 20%. Actually, we did that last night because Genevieve told a story 
from the Gospels. And she didn't just tell the story. She went behind the uh, staircase and then she came out as a different person. She was this mom who had a possessed daughter. And she was following Yeshua and the disciples around and, and begging Yeshua to heal her daughter. And, and Genevieve like acted it out and, and called out after him desperately. And, and it like, it totally had a song engaged for the whole thing. I've never seen the neighborhood kids that we have over so into a story. Why? Because it was visual. And because maybe it was almost, yeah, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll keep going with that though. If people see a demonstration, they retain 30% of the information they received. Think dramatizing stories. If they discuss it, the percentage moves to 50%. Think dialogue. How we talk about the story after? Yeah. When people learn content by doing application, the percentage retained goes to 75%. And actually, there's a very powerful question that we've added to the little list of questions that we ask after a story and then we discuss. The last One of the last questions we ask is, what is this story telling you to do? And what's that going to look like? Right? It's that whole learning by doing thing, eh? And when you add the one-to-one component, learning and retention rise to an astounding 90%. Think discipleship. Using all of the methods makes truth stick. So can you guys see why I'm pumped about this simple idea of just telling the stories from his word word of mouth? Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute, at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.